0: This is the Glasses by Day, Geek by Night podcast. I'm Matt, and today I'm going to be reviewing and moaning about some geeky stuff. On today's show, I have some geek news, which includes the Fantastic Four rumours, Batman Beyond tens 25, Blue Beetle and its predicted flop, and Ali Salim, the secret that the Invasion Director has given his criteria for what, for what he did during the finale. I'll also be ranking the power levels of the live-action Superman. I have another comic to read before you die. And lastly, I'll have my character of the week. Fantastic Before has been rife on the rumour mill for months, Mr Fantastic has been linked with Adam Driver, John Krasinski, Glenn Howerton, John David Washington, Ryan Gosling, Penn Badgley, Diego Luna and most recently Matt Smith. Adam Driver was allegedly the studios for Mr Fantastic until he backed out so allegedly he's read the script and says that he couldn't connect with the character either that or he hated the script which is even more disappointing. To be fair, I think Matt Smith, who seems to be the new leader in the race, would be a great Mr. Fantastic. I think Penn Badgley would have been a great in the role too, although I think he makes more of a creepy weirdo than a science guy. No offence, I love you. Not him, the, the, the TV show. Anyway, Ryan Gosling would make an awful Mr. Fantastic, don't rate him whatsoever. The man can't even eat in front of people and it's just weird. And the Invisible Woman has been linked with a plethora of actresses as well, such as Dakota Johnson, Rachel Brosnahan, Alison Williams, Mila Kunis, Emma Stone, Jodie Comer, Vanessa Kirby, Kristen Bell, Emily Blunt, and Margaret Roby. I feel Margaret Roby would be a bit of a cop out for the studio. You, know, you if you give her the role, you're just giving the actress who's just had you know a movie break a million dollar mark. It's kind of like, oh, you're doing well, so come and be our. Yeah, Invisible Woman. Doesn't make sense to me. Uh, not really. I can't see her in the role anyway. Emily Blunt would be good if Krasinski was Mr Fantastic. But I can't see that happening. Plus she's already said that she doesn't want to do any superhero movies. And they're not her. Emma Stone would actually be pretty decent. But I'm not sure if she's holding out for the live action Spider-Gwen. Mila Kunis could play her. But she wouldn't be my first choice. Jodie Comer. I know I'm supposed to like her because she's a scouser, but uh, I can only see her as, you know, uh, the the whatever her character was called in Killing Eve, it's, it escapes me for now, it'll jump back into my head in a minute. Rachel Brosnahan is Lois Lane, so that rumour was squashed pretty quick. Kristen Bell better not be Sue Storm, loved Veronica Mars back in the day, but since seeing her in that woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window i have to say that she should quit acting it the sex scene in that scarred me for life Uh, vanessa kirby seems to be in the driving seat in the moment i think she's a pretty solid choice the human torch has been linked with just as many actors so we've got joe keery chris evans which obviously a joke Joseph Quinn, Austin Buff, Butler, Zach Efron, Dekka Montgomery, Rudy Pankow and Paul Mescal. Zac Efron, no, just just no, no. He looks weird at the moment with his broken jaw and he's too old. I think the team should be relatively young. Any one of the Stranger Things guy would be pretty awesome, I think. For me, I think Rudy Pankow would have made a good casting, although I think Joseph Quinn has allegedly been linked with the getting the role. And Leslie we have Ben Graham. The thing, he's had a couple of actors linked with the role, but I actually think that I feel this particular casting is probably the hardest due to the fact that Ben can't switch it off like the others. He's always stoned, so you need an actor that can portray what he or she's feeling through an eye look or their voice without need to do much in the way of facial expressions um so we've got what ebon moss backrack and david diggs i think david diggs he was in hamilton i think he's linked with the role i feel like he could be pretty good in the role but i wait and see say what you like about the fantastic four from the early 2000s but in my eyes michael chilcliffe's thing always got his emotions across so i think he'll be a hard act to follow Batman Beyond ran from 1999 to 2001. It was had three seasons and it was 52 episodes long. So, in the grand scheme of things, 52 episodes doesn't seem like it would leave any kind of an impression. But I think Batman Beyond was a bit of a hidden gem. It it, it left a lasting impression on me. Anyway, the show shows how Bruce retired from being Batman due to a heart condition. It tells the story of Terry McGuinness who stumbles onto the Batcave and into his role of a role as Batman, and uh, after his father's death. He's initially fueled by vengeance towards his father's murderer, which he overcomes um, and and becomes a force for justice. Terry becomes the successor to the Batman role. Bruce Bruce becomes his trainer or the man in the chair, as we like to call them these days. The show brings in a new dynamic to the DC animated universe. Um, it's set in the near future with cyberpunk esque feel to it and great voice acting. What can we say about the Batman in this? He's you know it features the best Batman probably of all time, the late great Kevin Conroy. He was my Batman growing up he, from the animated series. He then he was in the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, plethora of other feature films and all yeah you know, most of the video games. Wilfred Del was in there, so if you're a child of the nineties like me, you'll remember Boy Meets World. Yeah. You know, he adds a, per- a perfect add-in to the Dark Knight story basically it's just great you know, great chemistry together, I think it's good um, the dynamics between the new teenage Batman and his mentor slash drill sergeant is brilliant, the series culminated in a feature film, Return of the Joker so any kid of that era would still gladly watch that film now it's a brilliant film, it brings back amazing voice work of Mark Hamill you know he's the joker to me so kevin conroy and the kevin conroy mark hamill they were my batman and the joker for for years so it ties in with uh, with the comic story death in the family in my eyes so it with a modern futuristic twist it's a great film which definitely it's definitely one that should be added to your dc animated film list the series abruptly ended with dc uh, and warner bros focusing on the justice league cartoon which to be fair is much it, it I love the Justice League cartoon. The Justice League Unlimited is even better. So what can we really say? Um, So the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited were set in the Batman the Animated and Superman the Animated series era. So Justice League Unlimited season one ends with an episode called Epilogue. So obviously the showrunners wanted to give us Batman Beyond fans a little bit of closure. So that episode is in there. So realistically, you could watch the whole the whole of batman beyond read all the comics that come with it and everything and then you could literally go on and you know watch justice league the end of season one episode called epilogue and that would end it to you so happy birthday batman batman beyond thanks for being a great show and some good memories i literally went the pictures today i went to the the, the cinema to watch uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem which i will review next week I saw the trailer again for Blue Beetle and it's just not doing it for me. My my kids said it looked pretty good, but I just yeah, I'm just not sure. So it's predicted to have a massive loss at the box office worldwide. It's it's predicted what thirty million dollars in sales, which is like incredibly low for any film these days. It it's suggested that the advertising's not being great, so I agree with that because I've barely seen anything on it. Yeah. You know, the trailer shows the bare minimum as well. James Gunn has publicly backed Blue Beetle, saying that the film will enjoy the hero executions, but I'm not so sure. So, I, what I'm actually hearing from James Gunn is that he's saying that Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman and Blue Beetle are the only two heroes from this particular era of heroes that are set to return in the new incarnation of the DC Unit cinematic universe. And I feel like you add a, a good foundation and you've just gone okay well i'm gonna keep her because you know she's good looking and she you know her films have done all right i'm gonna keep him because just because i kind of feel like if you're gonna do it just get rid of everyone start over start fresh i just kind of feel like it doesn't need to be done and the fact that the film's set to make a massive loss says that maybe the studio backed the wrong course so i've been thinking about this if they wanted a teen hero of color a hero like Static might have been a better shout. So, Static is he, he's he's an original character. He's not the third of his name like Blue Beetle is. Um, Jaime Reyes is the third Blue, Blue Beetle. So, Static is the first of his name. He's an original character. He, he, basically, DC Comics bought Milestone Comics and Static was one of their heroes. And he lived through the... You know, they they bought loads of comic book companies back in the day and a lot of the heroes never made it into DC Comics. He was one of them. He ended up having his own TV series, his own book. He's been part of the Teen Titans in the comics. You know, he's not had as much recently but I kind of feel like he's he's due a comeback. So, <laughs> I kind of think Static is a cooler character and also brings another dynamic of the superhumans into the mix. So, they have this thing that they, they had an accident, and it creates all these superhumans, and they call themselves Bang Babies, which I get that they could do with revamping that a little bit and calling them something different, maybe updating it. It does sound a bit crap, but I kind of feel like, know, yeah, Static in my eyes would probably be a better character to, you know, help jumpstart the, you know, the younger hero stage. I'm not denying that Iron Reyes is a good character, but. Like I said, he's not the first Blue Beetle, he is the third. Two other Blue Beetles have just been bypassed, making way for him. So, I can also see why Jaime was chosen over Static, as Static has a similar look to Miles Morales. And DC can't be seen to copy in him and copy in Marvel in any way, shape or form. I feel like cinema is a dying art form to a certain extent, um, as it's too easy for people to get these films online at the own. I myself like going to the movies. I like going and sitting there having a, you know, some chocolate, some sweets, whatever. Um, but it's hard finding the time to get there. Sometimes waiting for the Sky movies release dates, which comes months down the line, is the only way you can do it. One person who is looking forward to the movie is Zack Snyder. So he's, he's publicly tweeted saying that he's looking forward to taking his kids to see Blue Beetle. So at least one person is looking forward to the movie. Ali Selim, the secret invasion director, is given is given his what criteria was given by the MCU bigwigs to set up key character developments for future MCU projects. He was given explicit instructions to put Fury back in space and make sure Rhodey can't walk. Check and check. I still don't think that replacing Rhodey during Civil War was the right idea by the studio, but it, it seems to be what they've decided on, so what can we do? Rhodey was my character of the week last week, mainly because I felt that the MCU did him dirty. I hope that Armor Wars can show Rhodey becoming a character of Tony's influence or his military background. I kind of feel like we had a bit of build-up during, what, Infinity War and Endgame, and yet they kind of just got rid of that now because he was a scroll. So it's hard to know what's what at the moment. Fury, on the other hand, has been put back in space to interact with the Marvels, which is set to come out in November. The Marvels is the one thing from the MCU that I'm just not looking forward to. I can't stand Brie Larson. I'm tempted to actually change the name of the podcast to I Hate Brie Larson. As I say it pretty much every week. And that's the end of my geek news. So up next, the strongest Superman. So, over the years, since Superman's creation back in 1938, he's been betrayed by a lot of different actors. Not only has he been betrayed by different actors, but each portrayal has been different and unique. Not only in the acting, but how the character was written and the character's power set. I know what you're thinking, power set, it's Superman. He always has the same powers, doesn't he? Yes, of course he does. But each portrayal of him has a different level of competency. So... Today I'll be ranking the live-action Superman on who is the strongest in my, in my eyes. So firstly, we have a couple of honourable mentions. Starting with Nicolas Cage. Although technically seen on the big screen in The Flash, I can't place him in the running. His power set is undefined and I can't make an accurate guess. Also, he didn't get his own film or series. Thank God. Another honourable mention are the two actors that filled the role of Superboy in the 90s. Technically, they're not Superman. And technically, it was a god awful series, so I'm not even going to put it there. So, we've got John Haynes Newton and Gerard Christopher. So, Christopher took over for Haynes Newton after the first season, so they are one in the same Kalel. They received an honourable mention due to the fact that the, the, the boy is planted after the super rather than the man. Uh, when they get rid of the boy, I think that I'll think about placing them on the list, although I doubt I would rank them very high. That leaves us with eight live-action supermen. So I'm going to start at number eight and work my way down. So in at number eight, I have Kirk Allen. I'm probably a little unfair to Kirk, as he was well before my time and well before the realm of possibilities that came with modern-day CGI. I'm sure he was a great superman, and that led the way for every member on the list to don the cape. That said, from what I've seen, his power set is not in the same league as the other Supes on the list. In at number seven, out George Reeves, and I'm, I'm I'm still probably being unfair because he was obviously the second the second one in the suit, so he's one of the more controversial Superman on the list. He was the first Superman to make kids believe in the. Superman, to believe Superman was super. Did a great job as the Man of Steel, but his personal life was riddled with problems, leading to an alleged suicide in 1959. He has the same issues as Kirk Allen, like I said, so he plays, his place in the list is limited by the CGI of his time period. In at number six is probably one of the Superman that I'm, I was familiar with as a kid. So we've got Dean Kane. The New Adventures of Superman was one of my favourite things about Saturday evening. I was a kid that drew the S on the S shield and got my mum to stick it or staple it to my blue jumper. My makeshift super suit was not great, but it did the job for seven year old me. I feel a little bad on Dean that he didn't make it further up the list, although the list isn't about which Superman I liked the best. This is about who was the strongest. I feel the budget on the series wasn't like the budget uh, budget these shows get now. The special effects went as far as a few green screens, one or two wires to hold him up in the air, and a fan for wind effects. These Superman were held back by the CGI of their time. To be fair, he faced some more difficult villains, a little bit. He had had the general Zod wannabe called Lord North. That was probably his worst of the worst, and and not bored Lex Luthor until very later on. In at number five, we have Brandon Roof. So, Brandon Ruffe had all the potential to be the biggest and best Superman. His version was the first we actually saw saving a plane. Well, a plane that was in peril, I suppose. Um, he might not have done it as eloquently as we would have liked him to, but it was a last-minute save, which in all likelihood would have resulted in many more deaths if he didn't save them. So, would I be a little pissed if I was the owner of the stadium and he just left the plane there? Absolutely. He took an armor-piercing round to the eye. He got shot in the eye at close range. Um, He has all the multi-sensory abilities that you'd expect. So he's up in the upper atmosphere and he's listening out for stuff. He can see stuff really far away. His flight was believable. To be fair, Brandon should probably be higher on the list due to the fact that he lifted an island made of kryptonite into space. That in itself is a feat for any Superman because each one on the list is affected differently by Kryptonite. Although I would assume that Kryptonite in that universe doesn't affect him the same way as some of the Supermen in other universes. At number four, I have Henry Cavill. Yeah, I know he should probably be higher on the list as well. He has all the powers you expect. That said, he was over 30 when he learned to fly. So that's why he's a little bit lower on the list. I'm not calling him a slacker as such. Yeah, you know, he undoubtedly is strong and he's fast, he fights a lot of Kryptonians, which ups his standing that said, it's not all the Kryptonians, you know, all the other Kryptonians have no idea how to use their abilities, which he had 30 odd years to get used to and he still only barely won against Zod so ugh. he also in the Man of Steel saved people when he had to not because he was actively seeking them out you know, to do it by batman versus superman he was actively seeking out people using his powers more often kryptonite seems to have more of an effect on him than ruth so it makes him a little further up the list he does fight doomsday which i'm calling it a draw because they both died Um because you can't say you won because he died as well so there you go In at number three is Tyler Hoechlin. So I I know what you're probably thinking, a bit of a controversial choice, but I've said it on previous podcasts that Tyler Hoechlin, is I actually think he's a great Superman. I think the series is great in itself as well. So He makes it higher up the list than Henry Cavill because I've I've seen more of his power set and his training through the episodes. So I kind of feel like when you see him going away as a teenager and use his abilities and he, you know, showing his feats of strength, his flight, his super speed, all that. I kind of feel like Henry Cavill just, you yeah, know, went on a bit of a bender for a few years and went hiking in the mountains. That was about it. That was his that was his training. And then he got a suit and Jarell told him he to could fly and that was it. And I kind of think, no, nah, that's not really yeah, that's not really for me. Hoakland's Superman is in control of all of his powers. He's trained with Jarrell to get the We've seen him lift a whole bridge up without so much of as a muscle twins. His superior in is off the charts, probably for any of the Superman, I'd probably say, because he, he's more in tune with actually people, you know, he's trained his ears basically to hear a cry and justify that as that's a trouble so then he goes to it so i kind of feel like his his superhero probably probably is the, the best out of all of them he's fought a rogue kryptonian brother a woman from an alternate dimension who basically became a god and most recently he, he's fighting doomsday which was created out of an alternate bizarro superman dead guy cgi is on his side the things they can do with the TV series now, not just films, is amazing. And I have I've no doubt that if I was to come back to this list a year down the line, I actually think he'll probably rank even higher. In at number two, I have Tom Welling. So I think Smallville took over from Dean Kane as Superman for me. I love the fact that we got to see each and every power come into its own. Obviously, we had strength and speed in the beginning, not like we had towards the end. He got x-ray vision during the first season and peeked into the girls' locker room. He only did it once, and it was an accident, allegedly. He gets invulnerability by the end of the first season, heat vision in the second, superhero in the third, we had glimpses of flight by the fourth season. I think because he got 10 seasons to the, to the the you know, of the show, that that's the reason why he's made the second spot on the list. Had Smallville been cancelled after season two, I'm not sure it would have been as high up the list. He fights a plethora of meteor freaks—sorry, meteor enhanced people—during each week. The freak of the week: um, Kryptonians, Bizarro, Clark, Doomsday, Darkseid. His, his only downside was green kryptonite. Um, has the most effect out, on him out of all the Superman, and there is a million other colors in Smallville that can affect him in other, you know, more interesting ways. So in at number 1 I'm pretty sure you've guessed it is Christopher Reeve. He made a generation of people believe in Superman more than any probably any other Superman. Um he he physically was the first actor who looked the part. He was, yeah, he was he was built to be Superman. So his version of Superman, he was strong, fast, his super senses were amazing. I've talked about CGI letting the film down or series down. I actually think the CGI for 1978 was probably the you know the the best version of that time, honestly. Especially with this film, I've seen the uh, the Richard Donner extended version of Superman and Superman Two, and that yeah, you know, some of the CGI in that is much better. So Christopher Reeve's version trained and came came out the other side a full version of Superman. Kryptonite affects him to the point where he can't stand, maybe not as much as Tom Wellens. He fights Kryptonians who have worked out most of their powers. He fights a supercomputer and wins. He also fights a nuclear man, which I think is Beth left not talked about. Um, I think the main reason that he actually tops the list is, because we're talking power set, out of all the Superman, he has the most unrealistic power He can reverse time. In Superman 1 he spins around the world reversing time. So unrealistic but still definitely worth a mention. Which gives Christopher Reeve the top spot as the most powerful Superman. So last week I promised to cover comics that have the main character die in comics to read before you die. So no comic there to me covers this more than Ultimate Comics The Death of Spider-Man. Talk about a book that has everything. It has a young hero proving himself to the adults, showing that he is a hero through and through. It shows his strength to carry on while he's injured. It shows his friendships that he's made along the, the series, all culminating in, in in being unmasked. A few villain deaths: a teenage dri- a teenager driving a stolen truck, a sick, uh, sick beating sick beaten to death with, of a villain with a truck, and a sadly Peter's death at the end. So Brian Michael Bendis is is writing's on point as usual, leading to great artwork and visuals by Mark Bagley. And um, this particular comic hit me hard. So it's one of two comics from similar era that the character deaths were hard to me. So I'll cover the next, I'll cover the other one next week. So I won't even go into that now. So I've talked about Ultimate Marvel a few times over previous podcasts, and I can't stress enough how good it was. It brought characters back to their roots, sending characters like Spidey back to their teenage years, while sending them well and truly into the present day with everything else that they're doing. Peter is back with MJ and dealing with the teenage stuff that comes with having a girlfriend. He's been getting stick off the Ultimates for you know, like him being a vigilante and not always thinking about what he's doing. So, so the Ultimates, uh, the original Ultimate Universe's team of Avengers. And they're called the Ultimates rather than the Avengers. So Steve Rogers, Captain America, turns up while Peter and MJ are eating and orders to suit her up and follow him. The pair end up in a graveyard where Cap gives him a lesson on fighting smart versus fighting foolishly and how the latter can end you up in a cemetery. I kind of feel like that, you know, realistically, you only have to think this is episode 150 something of Ultimate Spider-Man. He's been through a lot. He's actually had more issues out there than any of the Ultimates have. Maybe they should be following his lead. So Peter follows him there, follows him to Queensborough Bridge because he gets a call and it says that Nick Fury has gone rogue and he's formed a a new team of Avengers. So Cap's gone there. Peter's followed him. He witnesses a huge explosion. So while all this is happening, Norman Osborn um, has turned back into the Goblins. So in the Ultimate Universe he can turn into this big goblin guy basically and he's escaped from the superhuman prison the triskelion along with doc Ock, sandman electro Craven the hunter and the vulture so we've got a sinister six going on so spidey's put them all there norman's told them all that peter parker is spidey and all but one wants revenge so doc Ock says that he's grateful for the early release but he has no grudge with peter and he wants to continue his work as a scientist Uh, A fight breaks out eventually and Norman kills Doc Ock so Peter gets a call from NJ saying that Norman and the others have escaped from prison and that she's just watched um, Norman kill Doc Ock on TV so Peter decides to leave the battle that he's at and head home to warn um, May and Gwen Stacy so Gwen Stacy is alive again in this universe she did die she's back from the dead and now she's living with Peter and May. As well as Johnny Storm and Bobby Drake. So, Human Torch and Iceman are living there as well. So, May has inadvertently created a halfway house for weird kids. After he warns May and Gwen to get out of the city, he heads back to end, yeah, back out to end, it or end this and stop Norman once and for all. His search leads into an area where Doc Ock was killed. He then comes across Cap standing over Fury and he decides to intervene. So, as he's intervening, he sees that the Punisher's aiming a, a rifle at Cap. Peter dives on Cap, taking the bullet to the back, saving Cap. After a series of events that blows the bridge up, you know, Cap's left him already, he tells him that it's not life-threatening, go to the hospital, all this. The bridge blows up and it leaves him in the water, so he's, he's been shot, he's been battered. He p- pulls himself up to dry land, dresses the wound with Webb, and then he decides that he needs to go to the hospital. So he knows that going to the hospital will, uh, it will reveal his identity, which... At this point, he's willing to do to save his own life. So before he gets the chance, he spots Norman and the others, uh, the other four that are left, heading towards his house. So the villains end up at the park house and expect to find Peter, but instead they find Johnny and Bobby. A fight ensues, leading Bobby to take he'd be taken out by Electro, while Johnny is taken out by Sandman. It's it's like a, a a deadly Pokemon battle because they've all got different power types and they're all being taken out by the you know, the alternate one. So, Peter arrives, he's unmasked, he's injured. May returns after the neighbours call her and say they think Peter's Spider-Man. In defense of Peter, she shoots and kills Electro. The battle comes down to Peter and Norman. MJ hits hits him with a truck, which is slightly unrealistic to me. And no superhumans battling in Queens is already unrealistic, but a kid with no prior carjacking skills randomly steals a truck, not buying it. She hits Norman, crashing the truck. Peter and her exchange a final kiss. He throws her to safety. Then Peter lifts up the truck and hits Norman twice with it. Like when I say it, he like he, he crunches him. It's bad. And um, just as the scene seems as he's won, the truck blows up. Peter is too weak at this point and has lost too much blood. And um, he's in MJ's arms. May turns up and he he tells May that you know. He did it, he did it. He's, he's made up, yeah. He, he's made up for the fact that he couldn't save Ben because he saved her. And then, as he's finished this, he set, yeah. He just dies in MJ's arms. Just long enough for Norman Osborne to turn back to human, look at what he's done and smirk, and then he dies as well. So, this is literally one of the hardest comic deaths for me. So. <laughs> ultimate spider-man he'd been through a lot and over over the 100 issue, 100 odd issues so it's great art great writing this is definitely a graphic novel that should be on your list and is definitely a comic you should read before you die lastly today i have the character of the week so this week's character of the week is ted cord the second blue beetle ted cord was created in 1966 by the legend steve Ditko. Ted has a genius level intellect, he's skilled in hand-to-hand combat, and he's an excellent athlete and acrobat. He was a student of Dan Garrick, Garrett even, the original Blue Beetle, who had the magical scarab that you're going to see in the new film. It gave him electric powers though, so it was slightly different. They end up investigating Ted's uncle Jarvis, who was creating an army of androids to take over the Earth. Garrett died in the battle with Jarvis and handed the mantle of the Blue Beetle to Ted but unfortunately he was unable to hand the Scarab over. This was Ditko's plan as he wanted to create a character who was powerless, preferring to write non-powered characters. Choosing to make him use his intellect to create weapons to help him during crime fighting, Ted first appeared in Charlton Comics as a backup to Captain Atom and then later got his own run. By the mid 80s after the events and crisis of infinite earths DC acquired Charlton Comics heroes and with a rebooted universe implanted some of them into the fold. Blue Beetle was one of the heroes uh, one of these heroes and was quickly became part of the furniture in the DC universe. He was part of the Justice League International, Justice League even being part of the team during the time when Superman died and was reborn. Um, he best made to Booster Gold, the glory hog superhero from the 25th century, and they have plenty of adventures together. Ted was a member of great teams, most of which wouldn't have been as good without his light-hearted, fun demeanour. All of Ted's adventures came to a head in the Infinite Crisis. He was shot and killed by Maxwell Lords, one of the... You know, he was one of the League's allies for a long, long time. But he had... yeah, he had, It's a whole different story, because... Ted wouldn't join him in his world domination thing, so he killed him. He shot him in the head. So, this would lead to the events of Infinite Crisis. Ted was reanimated by the Black Lantern Ring during the Blackest Night storyline, even tries to kill Booster Gold during this time, but is eventually laid back to rest by his mate. Ted reappears in the new 52, but is only a grad, stud- grad student who has inherited his family company. In DC Rebirth, Ted is shown to have been the Blue Beetle at some point, Um but has retired from the life and is helping Jaime Reyes to get to get rid of the Scarab. He suits back up to help his friend Bruce the gold, who is the main suspect in the Heroes and Crisis storyline. Ted is one of the heroes that has gotten quite far as being a hero of all powers, although I feel like he could be used and utilised better than what he has up to now. I also feel like Ted has been well and truly bypassed by Jaime Reyes. Jaime might have superpowers, but Ted has the past friendships and potential to bring new teams to the DC cinematic universe. So Ted Cord call, Ted Cord, my blue beetle. He he's my character of the week. Mainly because I feel like he's been shafted, alright. He's kind of been bypassed and I kind of feel like he deserves a bit better. So next week I'm going to I've got some geek news. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and Mutant Mayhem review. I'm going to start reviewing cult classic TV series, starting with heroes. And then I'll be rounding up the top 10 superpowers on heroes that that I'd love and what I'd do with them. I'll have another comic to read before you die with the theme of the main character dying in it. And as always, I'll have my character of the week, which seems to be the theme of the character that has been shafted by a comic company or a film studio. So I'm Matt and this has been the Glass by Day Geek Night Podcast. Thanks for listening.